fellows, take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. And we're going to look at verses 32 through 35, just a short passage of Scripture uh, tonight as we talk about the revival at Lydda. The revival at Lydda. Uh, Acts chapter 9, verses 32 uh, through 35. And it came to pass, as Peter passed throughout all quarters... He came down also to the saints which dwelt at Lydda. And there he found a certain man named Aenus, which had kept his bed eight years and was sick of the palsy. And Peter said unto him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ, maketh thee whole. Arise and make thy bed. And he arose immediately. Uh, some of you teenagers haven't made a bed in eight years either, uh, verse, or, or us husbands. Verse 35, and all that dwelt at Lydda and Saron saw him and turned to the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the testimony of your power. And Lord, I'm so glad that we see Peter wasn't lifted up. Lord, for the people there did not turn to Peter. Lord, Aeneas was not lifted up, for the people there did not turn to him. Lord, rather we see that you were lifted up, and as you promised in the Gospels, you drew men to yourself. And Lord, we see a great revival took place as many turned to you. Lord, I thank you that you're still able. I thank you that the Gospel still works. I thank you that we can trust your power. I thank you that we can point men and women and boys and girls to you as well. And Lord, I pray you'd bless us as we examine this thought, this short passage. Uh, Lord, some encouraging truths I think we have for tonight. Lord, would you help us? In your precious name we pray. Amen. So the book of Acts is a book of action. Uh, we have just in the title itself. It is the acts or the actions. Uh, it is what God did. It is not what the apostles did. It's what God did through the apostles. Uh, it's not what Peter did. It's what God did through Peter. It's not what Paul did. It's what God did through Peter. But there are many actions. There are many movements that are happening. And as we move, as we see the gospel uh, as a fire pushing forth, and growing forth, we see some truths, and tonight we find some truths wrapped up in this very short passage uh, at this experience at this place called Lydda, uh, a place that we don't hear much about. Matter of fact, we just uh, hear a little bit in the Bible, and but rather we see that a revival took place here, and a couple of truths I want to give you tonight, and we won't be lengthy tonight, but I have some uh, some helpful truths for us. Number one this evening. Uh, notice that a real Christian, a real Christian will always desire the fellowship of other Christians. A real Christian will always desire the fellowship of other Christians. And we see that truth uh, there, the first point tonight. It's the fact that Peter here, uh, he went down to Lydda, he passed throughout, and when he came to Lydda, what did he do? He found some believers. He found some believers. By the way, we uh, see that in verse 32. He was on a journey. Uh, he, he was visiting some churches. He was going some different places. And when he arrived there, he sought out the saints. 
Uh, we, he was a Christian. Uh, he wanted to get into the proper environment, uh, the environment with other believers. Uh, we see in Acts chapter 4, uh, back just a few pages in verse 23, it says, And being let go, they went to their own company and reported all the chief priests and elders had, had said unto them. We see here that Peter went back. He went to the place where other believers were. So number one tonight, a real Christian will always desire the fellowship of other Christians. Uh, believers, we need to uh, notice that the natural tendency is for us to be around other believers. Now, that doesn't mean that we all love a crowd. Some of you don't do well in crowds. Some of you, uh, you're like me, you're like a hermit on a mountain somewhere. You're okay with that. But ultimately, God has made us uh, so we want to be with other believers. God made Adam, and God said about Adam, it is not good. It's not good the man be alone. So he made a helpmeet for Adam. God made Adam. God, by the way, did not fail in the making of Adam. God didn't make Adam. Adam wasn't a failure or a broken model. Uh, he wasn't Mark 1, and then God had to make Mark 2 because, you know, the first one was, was a, a flop. It was not a problem, it was not a failure that Adam needed companionship. God made him that way on purpose. And Christian, God made you and God made me to fellowship with other believers. Let me ask you a question. When you're away from home, when you're traveling, do you seek out the company of God's people? You know, when you, when you go on holidays and you travel, do you, do you find a church to go to? My wife and I... Uh, we, we don't do a lot of traveling, and over the years we haven't taken very many vacations, but a few times uh, whenever I was in Bible college, I'd try to get away for a couple of days, and uh, if I could, and we'd go somewhere, uh, and if we went somewhere, uh, we always found a church, wherever we were. Uh, we, we found a body of believers that we could gather ourselves to. I'll never forget, I was in Shipshawana, Indiana, and Shipshawana is an area, a lot of Amish, and we stayed at a place called Amish, uh, Amish Acres, I think. We went to Amish Acres uh, there in, in Indiana. And we, uh, we went to a little Baptist church in Shipshawana. And I said to Carrie, I said, hey, I said, I was in Bible college. I was maybe 20, I don't know, maybe 23 years old, and 22, 23. And I told Carrie, I said, hey, let's, let's just kind of sit in the back, kind of hide in the corner I said, as soon as the preacher says, amen, I said, as soon as the invitation is over, we're out, we got it, we're going to get out of here, and we had plans, we're going to go for lunch, and we're going to do this, and uh, I was in the service, and just said hi to people, I didn't really talk to anybody, because, you know, we were a young couple in a place we didn't know, and when the pastor said amen, or the last prayer was said, the, pra the pastor went to the back door, <laughs> and we went to leave, we were the first ones to leave. And the pastor stuck his hand out to me and he said, hello. He looked me in the eye and he said, you're a preacher, aren't you? I said, yes, sir. And he, he said, where are you from? And I told him. He said, okay. He said, you're preaching tonight. <laughs> uh, yes, sir. Then we went and had pizza with them and had lunch with them and spent time with them. Now, how is it we could spend time? We didn't know them. We never met them. But we had one thing in common. We were brothers in Christ. Amen. And Peter here, he sought out believers. He, he, Peter was a fish out of water without believers. And Christian, that's what you are. 
We're fish out of water if we're not gathered with other believers. A Christian is always going to desire the fellowship of other Christians. We, we belong to a different family. Uh, we have a different nature, the Bible says. Uh, now, here's the question, though. How were there Christians at Lydda? Think about that. We're not talking about 20 years after the gospel, after Jesus went to the cross. Uh, we're not talking about, at max, maybe a year. Max, if that long. Maybe a year after Jesus rose from the dead. Maybe. Six months to a year. If, if we give it that much of a stretch. We're, we're not talking about 5, 10, 12 years later. We're not talking about the gospel moving forward for months and weeks and, uh, and years passed down. We're not talking about after the Apostle Paul went and, and went to city after city and shared the gospel. So how was there believers? How were there followers of Christ in Lydda? Point number two, just one man, just one man in the hands of the Holy Spirit can be a great blessing to any community. Look back in Acts chapter 8 with me. And I want you to look in verse 5. It says, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. Now, remember Philip? Philip the evangelist. We, we see in verses 26 through 39, look in chapter 8 there, and the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go towards the south, and the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went. And when we see that he was going down there, we, uh, we read about him preaching in the desert of Gaza. We read about him speaking and preaching to the Ethiopian man. And look in verse 40. But Philip was found at Azrodus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. You know what Lydda was? Lydda was a city on the way to Caesarea. Lydda was a place where the evangelist Philip passed through. And he didn't just pass through, but he preached in all the cities on his way down there to go to Caesarea. So en route, he didn't say, you know, one day I'm going to get to Caesarea and I'm going to preach the gospel. Philip was preaching the gospel all the way. He was preaching on the way. Everybody he met, he was somebody he needed to tell about Jesus Christ. Uh, we see him called in Acts 21, the evan Philip the Evangelist. Philip evangelized. Let me help you with something. Let me help you with the definition of an evangelist. And, and we have bastardized so many words in our culture today. We have ruined the English language. Uh, and many Christians have taken words and perverted them away from their uh, intent in the Word of God. And one of the words we've done that with is evangelist. An evangelist is not someone who goes and preaches an exciting meeting. An evangelist is not somebody that, uh, you know, people want to go here and uh, the church gets excited about them coming. An evangelist is someone who evangelizes. An evangelist is someone who goes and preaches the gospel. And if someone tells me they, they want to be an evangelist, my first question to them is, okay, when's the last time you shared the gospel with somebody? Well, I, you know, I just want to go and, 
and have an exciting meeting somewhere. That's not an evangelist. An evangelist evangelizes. An evangelist proclaims the gospel. An evangelist is one who, whose life is pointing people to Jesus Christ. And we have so got away from the understanding of that word in our culture, in Christian culture, uh, that we've lost the understanding. Philip wasn't on his way to Caesarea so people could get excited about Philip preaching. There was nobody in Caesarea that believed the gospel yet. Philip was on his way to Caesarea to evangelize. He was on his way to preach the gospel. On his way to Caesarea, he was preaching. Every town he went to, he was telling people about Jesus. On his way, he was preaching. So how was there anyone at Lydda for, for Peter to join with? It was because Philip had preached the gospel. He'd evangelized. How wonderful it is that one man could make such a difference. We see a man that would preach, and we see that there were people, believers at Lydda. Matthew 18 in verse number 20, the Bible says, For where two or three are gathered there together in my name, there I am in the midst of him. I believe what must have happened in Lydda is that Philip preached the gospel, and there was at least two people, probably more, that believed, and there was a local church formed in Lydda. Now, we don't know that they had a pastor. We, all we know is there were believers there. We know that they must have been young in the faith. We know that they could not have been believers very long. They had just gotten the gospel not long previously, a few months, maybe six months before. But Peter was there and joined himself with believers because one man on his way through Lydda preached the gospel. Christian, you have no idea the impact you can have. The impact you can have for the gospel where you are. We, you know, we look at the Bible and say, yeah, he could have had a big impact in Caesarea, and I believe he did. But I'm sure glad God used him along the way. I love the story. I love the story that Brother Arbo shared at our conference. And if you, those of you that missed it, I share it with you. He, he went to, he had the privilege of going to Tennessee Temple College, then t later Tennessee Temple University, and now no longer exists. But uh, Dr. Lee Robertson, the pastor of uh, the church there, Great Highland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, uh, was the pastor of the church and founder of the college. And I love Dr. Robertson. I, I got to spend some time with him as a teenager, and uh, I got to, to, to spend a little time with him while I was in Bible college. Uh, the last time I heard, him, I heard him preach just, I guess, about a year before he went to heaven. But Dr. Robertson, a great man of faith, I Almost every time I heard him preach somewhere, he preached about faith, and he was a man of faith. But Arbo told the story when he was graduating from college, those of you that might have missed it, as he was leaving, he and his wife were leaving college in Chattanooga, and they were on their way to, uh, to B.C. to plant a church. And he said, Dr. Robertson told us, he said, well, he said, when you go, he said, if you break down, your car breaks down, just wherever you are, right there, you start a church. And he said, Dr. Robertson didn't realize, you know, I'm a Canadian. I can't just go where I am and start a church in the United States. I've got to get back to Canada. But Dr. Robertson had the mentality, man, you just go, and wherever you are, you share the gospel. Can I tell you why Dr. Robertson had that mentality? Because he got it from the Bible. He got it from the Bible. And we see that uh, this one man on his way to go to Caesarea had an impact in other places. 
And Christian, you and I can have impact wherever we go. God wants to use us. God wants to affect us. How many of you remember, and I, I hate to bring it up, but you remember uh, the year 2020? Remember that year? It was the year 20. No, that's not it. Uh, some of you don't even know that song. But 2020, uh, you remember back, and, and you remember hearing the word, oh, no, somebody got, and I won't even mention the name of that uh, horrible disease, stupidity or something. Uh, and, and you're like, oh, no, where were they? I remember we got, uh, I got a phone call one Sunday evening. And uh, the phone call was, Pastor, mentioned a, fam a family. I found out that a family that was at church Sunday morning that night tested positive. And I don't know. I got to see. Where were they? Who were they around? I, con I contacted every person. They were anywhere near. And it was funny. I did all of that. Nobody, not one person in the contact here was, was sick. And uh, we had cared for that, reached out to every person. Two weeks later, the government of Canada called me and said, hey, we need some contact tracing. And I said, look, you guys are failing at your job. I said, I can teach you how to do your job. We've already done it. Now, what actually happened was that man said, you know what, you're right. He called me back the next day. He said, my boss wants to call you. He said, we're failing at what we're doing. Would you talk to my boss and tell him what you did and how we can do a better job? Uh, that was our only interaction with the government during COVID. It was a good one. But remember that? Oh, no, so-and-so so sick. Now we got to see who we've come in contact with and do they have it? Do we have it? I wish. I wish that every person we came in contact with heard the gospel. I wish that we were as concerned about getting the gospel to every person. We, we realize and see the impact of this. I, I just find it amazing to me. I, just, I love the fact that this little place, the gospel was there because one man. Number three. Number three, in the Bible, Christians are called saints. By the way, saints are not, are not people that are canonized by a cult called the Catholic Church. Saints are folks that are born-again believers. By the way, a saint, we are a saint. The Bible, uh, we see uh, in John chapter 3, I read for you very quickly. You need not turn there, but John chapter 3, the Bible says, Jesus answered and said to him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again. Anyone who is born again, as we read about in John chapter 3, who has been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, and who trust him as their Savior, who is united to Christ, is a saint. You see, Peter went to Lydda, and he joined with the saints. Now, if you read the Bible with a, a skewed, false religious, cultish religious uh, lens, and, oh man, uh, he, 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 he met with these people that were canonized. No, they were brand new believers. But they were saints just as much as Peter was. Just as much as you and I are as Christians. Uh, they, they were believers because of what? Because of our standing in Christ. Not because of what you've done. Not because of some glory that you've earned. Not because you have reached some level of spiritual hierarchy. But rather because of your position in Christ. Who you are. Who I am in Christ. God calls us Saints, uh, that's a, a wonderful thought that uh, we are in him. First Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 2, uh, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, 
to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. There were saints. What's that mean? They were believers. There were saints at Lydda. There were believers at Lydda. Now, that doesn't mean all the people at Lydda were saved. We know that's not the case because we see there were those that got saved, but there were saints at Lydda. Uh, number four, in every company of God's people, there are going to be those in great need. This is never going to change. It's never going to change. In verse 33, we read about this man. And there he found a certain man, Nanainus, which had kept his bed eight years and was sick of the palsy. A man who had palsy, who was in bed. When I was a teenager, I heard a I heard a preacher by the name of David Ring preach. How many of you know the name David Ring? Some of you may have heard it before. David Ring, he, was, he had cerebral palsy. I'll never forget the sermon I heard him preach. I, I heard him preach it on a, a VHS tape, I think it was. And he had preached uh, down at the uh, Thomas uh, Road Baptist Church back when Brother Falwell was doctrinally sound. And David Ring preached, and I remember him, a statement he made over and over. He was preaching to teenagers. And I remember him saying, uh, I have cerebral palsy. What's your problem, healthy teenager? And as he couldn't even say the name of Jesus correctly because of cerebral palsy, his body was pulled, but to the best of his ability, he preached the gospel, but he, he had cerebral palsy. This man had a palsy that had him in his bed. He couldn't get up. He, he, maybe he couldn't speak. He, he couldn't communicate. He was literally in his bed. And the Bible says he was in his bed there, notice, for eight years. Can you imagine? Eight years. That's a great need. That's a great need. What a situation. We see in Acts chapter 9, verses 36 through 34, we have the, the story of Dorcas. By the way, that's a word, that's a name you don't hear many people naming their children. Rebecca, maybe Dorcas. That'd be a good name, little, little Dorcas Mitchell. Uh, I kind of like it. But Dorcas died and was raised to life by God through Peter's ministry. You look at the book of Acts, you know what you find? You find everywhere the gospel went, there were people with problems. They were hurting people. As I went yesterday to the hospital to visit with Josiah, I thought as we passed so many people, so many hurting people, so many sick people. And by the way, every company of God's people, there are those in great need physically, great need financially great need emotionally. That's a reality. We've been talking about prayer, and, and we, we looked at healing, prayer for healing the last couple of weeks, but understand there's always people with needs. It's been said that if, you, if a preacher is willing to preach to hurting people, he'll never lack for a crowd. Always people with needs. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and verse 26 the Bible says, and whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it, or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. 
I remember years ago I was preaching and I said I, I was talking about working on a roof and I said I hit my, my ham with a thumber. I meant to say I hit my thumb with a hammer. Uh, Pete Newfeld never lets me forget me hitting my thumb, my ham with a thumber. Uh, but I, I remember hitting my thumb with a hammer or my ham with a thumber, whichever way it was. And you know, if you've ever done that, it doesn't feel good. It's not enjoyable. It's not pleasant. But did you know if you do that, it's not just your thumb that feels it. Your whole body. I remember in November, the first, it was the first Wednesday in November of 2022. I went upstairs early, about, it was about 6 o'clock in the morning. I was in the office and I walked up the back stairs to the area where we're developing now and the, the light was off, there was, it was dark, and I was walking down the stairs, and I stepped off onto the landing, but I was one step above the landing. And I rolled my ankle, and it still hurts me every day today, a year and a half later. But I rolled my ankle, and I hit the ground, and I fell the rest of the way down the stairs and I was kind of upside down, legs up. And I was, that was just my ankle. I mean, I, I just rolled my ankle, that's all that did. But I laid there for about five minutes. Praise God, I was alone, nobody was here. I was able to just lay there and in pain and moan in pain, but I laid there my whole body just paralyzed in pain. And I remember thinking, I don't even know if I'm going to be able to get up. I might have to crawl out to my car and crawl into the vehicle and drive to the hospital. I don't know what I'm going to do. But I, I was in, it was just my ankle. But man, my whole body felt it. Christian, I, I love that Peter went to this body of believers and there was a guy hurting. And Peter felt it. As believers, we... We bear one another's burdens. We are the body of Christ. When one member is injured, the other feels it. We see that picture there. So in every company of God's people, there are going to be those in great need. Number five, the gospel message. The gospel message is adequate for spirit, soul, and body. It's interesting to note here in verse 34, Peter said unto him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ maketh thee whole. Arise and make thy bed, and he arose immediately. The word whole we find there is the same uh, word we get the root for holy from, complete and perfect. It reminds us that Jesus Christ is everything we need for all of time and all of eternity. Now, as we've talked about very in-depth in our adult Sunday school the last couple of weeks, God does not always choose to heal the body. Now, God did that here for Aeneas, but God doesn't always choose to do that. I'm going to turn here quickly. I'm not too far away from 1 Peter. Chapter 3, verse 17, the Bible says, For it is better if the will of God uh, be so that ye suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. Sometimes God has for us a ministry of suffering. God doesn't always choose to heal the body, but can I tell you the gospel is adequate. 
the gospels enough. Everything we need. God is sovereign, by the way, in his dealings with his people. We, we can't look at God and say, God, why does you do that? God, you don't know what you're doing. No, God is sovereign and right in whatever he does. God is always good. All the time. Reminded of a dear man who went through meningitis and when he came to in a hospital bed, his dear wife was beside of him. Meningitis caused him memory loss. Amnesia, long-term amnesia. He looked at her and said, who are you? She said, well, I'm you. I can't remember her name now. I know it said, I'm your Susie, whatever her name was. I'm your wife. He didn't remember his wife. By the way, he never did remember his wife. Last time I heard him speak, he still calls his wife my Susie. Or whatever the name, I can't remember her name, I know it. But I have never heard that man speak. That he hasn't said God is good. As he shares his testimony of all the things he went through, God is good. And he is good. He is good. All the time, God's good. The gospel is enough. It's enough. You know, God's sovereign. So, so how can we say uh, the gospel message, it, it's good for spirit, soul, and body? And praise God, God made me a living soul. My, it, it's the power of the gospel. And we've mentioned, we've talked about this much in the last couple of weeks. I won't belabor the point, but as we think about that letter A here, if it's God's will to heal, he'll lead us to wait before him and trust him for his healing grace. And God can heal if he chooses to do so. But, Letter B, if he does not heal, and by the way, the Bible's plain that God doesn't always heal. He gives us sufficient grace so we can glorify him in a ministry of suffering. If God always healed, every Old Testament, New Testament saint would still be here. I could have, we could have Peter come preach next Sunday. Let him, man, let him tell the story. I probably have to tell him, hey, Peter, no cussing, okay? <laughs> Watch your language. Don't be chopping anybody's ear off, okay? Uh, homeless guy walks in. Don't be chopping at him. You know, that's Pastor Rice's job to chop the homeless guys. But if, if God healed, if God's will was to heal everybody, Peter would be here, Paul would be here. Uh, but that's not the case. But God does give us sufficient grace. He gives us sufficient grace. You know, there are those that say, well, but, you know, it's always God's will to heal. Well, the problem with that is it sounds good when you say it, but it doesn't agree with the word of God. And God says, let God be true and every man a liar. Even if we have a great intention, if we're wrong and God's right, we're wrong. And God does not always choose to heal. Number six, it could be, well, that if we had greater faith, more holiness of life, as we talked about in James the last couple of weeks, that we'd see more evidence of miracle-working power of God and healing. Maybe that's the case, but we know this in verse 34. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ maketh thee whole. Jesus Christ. You see, the question is not, can God? 
That's not the question we have to ask. I never have to say, can God do this or can God do that? The answer is, is it the will of God? Because God cannot do anything that is not his will. God can do anything. God can do above all that we ask or think. There's never a time that God says, <laughs> you ask a hard one. Heard about a, a guy who found a magic lamp. And he rubbed it. And a genie came out. And he said, you have but one wish. And the guy said, man, I've watched all the movies. I get three wishes. He said, no, I'm a real genie. You just get one wish. He said, okay, one wish. I'm going to make it a... I'm going to make it a really, really, I'm going to make it a really good wish. He said, you know, I'm afraid of boats. He said, I'm afraid of airplanes. He said, I don't know why, I just, I'm afraid of both of them. He said, I've always wanted to go to Hawaii. He said, but my fear of, of traveling in a boat, my fear of airplanes have made it, so I'll never be able to go to Hawaii, but I really want to go. He said, so I, maybe it's a crazy wish. He said, but my wish is I want you to, to make a bridge all the way from California all the way to Hawaii. And the genie looked at him and said, that, that, I can't do that. I mean, that's a long way. He said, that's a, that's a ridiculous wish. He said, there's no way I could do that. Ah, he said, oh, well, he said, let me see. He said, uh, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you what I'll ask for instead. He said, I know what I'd like to do. He said, I'd like to always be able to understand women. And the genie said, did you want that a two-lane bridge or a four-lane bridge to Hawaii? Now, we don't always understand everything. And the fact is, we can't understand God, but we can know that God will do His will, and His will, His will is good. So as we think about that matter, it's a matter not of understanding, but knowing we can trust God. Lastly, number seven tonight, finally putting forth the Lord's power. Putting forth the Lord's power always results in the spread of the gospel. Can I tell you the purpose for the power of the Holy Spirit ultimately is to get the gospel out. Ultimately, it's for the gospel to go out. Now, God allows us his power to live for him to be like Christ, but ultimately, the ultimate reason for the power of the Holy Spirit, ye shall be witnesses unto me. That's the purpose of the power of the Holy Spirit. That, that's the purpose. We learn in verse 35. Look there with me. And all that dwelt at Lydda and Siren saw him and turn to the Lord. Amen. How many? Oh. Oh. That's that's pretty amazing revival right there. I read a, I heard a story, not read a story, it was told a story by a dear man who used to attend Cornerstone years ago. He's been in heaven a long time. He was he was just about ready to go to heaven the first time he came to our church. He walked in the back door of an old building. Older gentleman in his late 70s. Maybe his, he was in his 80s, I guess, at the time. 
He came in a few minutes late, and as I preached, he wept. And I thought, man, that guy's under conviction. I, you know, I'm praying. I got. I'm praying that guy gets saved. And as soon as the service was over, he didn't come forward during the invitation. I thought, man, I've got to go back there catch him. Granted, he was he wasn't moving very fast. I figured I could catch him. I hadn't injured myself quite as many times at this point. And I thought, man, I got to catch him. I got to talk to that man before he leaves because. I thought he was under great conviction. He was just crying the whole time I was preaching. I went back to see him. His name was Henry. And I asked him, I said, sir, I said, if you died today, do you know for sure you'd go to heaven? He said, oh, yes. He said, I've been a Christian, I think it was 65 years. And I said, sir, I said, I, I noticed during the message you were crying. I said, I... I thought you were lost. I thought you were under conviction of needing to get saved. And I was preaching the gospel that morning. I thought, man, I, I said, I said, why were you crying? And he said, because your preaching was so bad. No, that's not what he said. He said, when I was a young man, he said, I went to a revival meeting. Or when Hyman Appleman came and preached, he was a a Jew that had gotten saved and was an evangelist years and years ago, hundred years ago, almost now. And I didn't know this story until Henry told me the story, but Hyman Appleman came to Edmonton. I believe it was in the, I believe it was the 30s or 40s. Maybe it was the 40s and preached. And he said it was weeks and weeks and weeks that he preached and he said people came and People get saved every night and just weeks went on a revival as he would preach and preach. And he said he went and heard Hyman Appleman preach. And I believe, unless I'm forgetting, I think he got saved at one of those meetings. And he looked at me and he said, son, he said, I haven't heard anybody preach the gospel like that since I heard Hyman Appleman when I was a boy. One of the problems in our world today is that Peter preached the gospel and the Bible says everybody got saved. The problem isn't the power of the Holy Spirit. The problem's the lack of messengers. The problem's not the message. The problem is those surrendered to carry the message. And God did an amazing thing. Many people came to witness what God had done in the life of one man. Think about this, Aeneas, just one man, his testimony saw thousands probably come to Christ. We don't know the population. I would say high hundreds at least, but it says all. In two, two towns, if you will. Christian, understand the impact that you can have with your life. Friday night when I preached at camp, it wasn't planned by me. It wasn't planned by Pastor Harness Jr., but it was planned by God. Brother Harness had asked Brother Will Esienko to share his testimony, a testimony right before I preached. Brother Will had no idea what I was preaching. Brother Will shared his testimony about surrendering to the Lord and then deciding to go away from his promise to God. And most some of you have heard the story, some of you don't know it, but he was in a tragic accident. God got his attention. He realized that he was just wasting his life. And he re-surrendered himself to serving the Lord. 
He had no idea that I was getting ready to preach on surrendering to serve the Lord. But God did. And I told Brother Will the other night, I said, after several folks surrendered that evening, I told him, I said, you have no idea the impact of your testimony tonight. And Christian, you have no idea the impact of your testimony. What a great testimony. And the power of God always goes towards folks coming to Jesus Christ. When they saw it, they turned to the Lord. They turned away from their idol worship. They turned away from whatever they were following. They turned to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. May our life and our impact cause that in our world today. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for the revival that happened. Lord, such a powerful thing that all the people turned to you. Two towns. Oh God, I would that all of Edmonton would turn to the Lord. Oh God, I would that all of just our community here, just the Alberta Avenue community, Lord, if just all of this community would turn to the Lord. Lord, just if all the folks on this street, Lord, I pray that we would see the importance of sharing the gospel. Lord, I thank you for the challenge and the encouragement that Philip the evangelist is to me. That Philip was faithful on his way. That Philip was telling people about Jesus. Philip wasn't living for himself. He wasn't trying to promote himself. He was lifting up Jesus all along the way. God, would you help us to be like Philip? Help us to be evangelists. Help us to be pointing people to Jesus. God, help us to see that the natural course for real believers is that we would join with other believers. Lord, that we would have be comfortable in that place in our relationship. Lord, I pray we'd see the impact that we can have just one person. Lord, thank you that you consider me a saint. Now, Lord, I, I know that we're reminded even in this great blessing of people coming to you that, Lord, in the community there, there were people that were hurting. Lord, we'll read a little few verses later about Dorcas. and Lord, we can look around us and we can see hurting people. We can see folks that are struggling. Lord, that's always going to be the case. The result of sin in our world, the curse of sin. God, help us to lift the hurting people. God, help us to love those and encourage them. Lord, I thank you the gospel message is enough. Lord, I pray that we would trust you. Lord, I pray that we would point other people to you. And God, would you use us, empower us, embolden us, that we may see people come to Christ. And Lord, bless us now. Dismiss us with your grace tonight. In your precious name we pray. Amen.